Support for WERU comes from Finelli Pizzeria, Route 1 at the Triangle in Ellsworth, serving New York-style pizza by the slice or the pie. More information is available at FinelliPizzeria.com. Popular magazines and history books will tell you rock and roll and later rock was born in New Orleans on the back of early jazz and blues. They would be wrong. You see, that's only half the story. Much of the genesis of rock and roll comes from folk music. Traditional folk music that dates back to before New Orleans even existed. Take a listen to this traditional folk song collected by Cecil Sharp in the Appalachian Mountains in the 1920s. This classic song dates back hundreds of years and probably came across from the sea from Great Britain. The instrument you'll hear is a mountain dulcimer played with just a bird feather. Sounds like a rhythm guitar, doesn't it? Guitars were not part of the vernacular of New Orleans music. Central to rock and roll is the rhythm guitar. It did not come from jazz or blues. Shady Grove, my little love, Shady Grove, I know. Shady Grove, my little love, bound for the Shady Grove. Cheeks as red as the blooming rose, eyes of the deepest brown. You are the darling of my heart, stay till the sun goes down. Shady Grove, my little love, Shady Grove, I know. Shady Grove, my little love, bound for the Shady Grove. Went to see my Shady Grove standing in the door. Shoes and stockings in her hands, little bare feet on the floor. Shady Grove, my little love, Shady Grove, I know. Shady Grove, my little love, bound for the Shady Grove. Wished I had a fine big horse, corn to feed him on. Pretty little girl to stay at home, feed him while I'm gone. Shady Grove, my little love, Shady Grove, I know. Shady Grove, my little love, bound for the Shady Grove. That was a Shady Grove, a legendary song. Uh, discovered in the 1920s in the Appalachian Mountains. And it will take us to rock and roll. You are off the charts, all the way back into the twilight zone of the 1950s, from the FM dial to the AM dial, because that's where the music was. You're listening to WERU, 89.9 FM Blue Hill, 99.9 FM Bangor, and online at www.weru.org. Down east, lost in the Maine woods and along the coast, and around the world, we are in Maine. In 1924, a man from New York City traveled to Bristol, Tennessee. His name was Ralph Peer. He was a music publisher. You see, in those days, the economic engine of the urban music business was sheet music. Music publishing, not recordings. Predominantly, black music was what got recorded. Race records, they called them then. Nashville and country music would be built on an American songbook, music publishing, sheet music model. Buying music meant buying a sheet of paper. Pop music began to reinvent itself around a new recording industry model, descended from race records and minority culture more than anything else. Today, Nashville's Music Row remains a bastion of pre-recorded American songbook-era way of doing business, driven by music publishing and live radio, particularly WSM. So Bristol, Tennessee was a mountain town surrounded by what they called hollers, Deep-cut valleys in the old mountains where generations of small, hard-scrabble farmers eked out a living in near-total isolation for hundreds of years. Like us Mainers, they talked funny. Families like the Stonemans, the Ritchies, and the Carters lived there. Just east of the Cumberland Gap, the rugged gateway to the deep south and west. Daniel Boone country, where Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Kentucky all come together. Bears and rattlesnakes were, no, were much more common than people. There were no towns, no cars or roads. You walked. A trip to get groceries took days. You stopped along the way and stayed the night with neighbors, and often you sang to keep yourself company. Pierre came to Bristol and put up posters all around offering to record anyone who showed up in town at a certain date. Well, word got out. People came from all around. Poor, illiterate singers and musicians came down from the mountains. Whole families. Ralph recorded them all. Among them were a Tennessee family called the Carter family. Another, a train brakeman who happened to be passing through from Mississippi named Jimmy Rogers. It was the big bang of country music, the musical genesis 
what we think of today as country music. Now, country music itself is a remarkable and mostly misunderstood story itself, too big to include today. However, much of what we call rock and roll, and today rock, owe their particular hybrid sound to early country music. But what kind of music did these Appalachian people make? They sang church music and songs passed on from generation to generation on front porches in the evenings. Music was something you made, something you did as a family or in church. It was a way of educating and entertaining at no cost. There were no movies, TV, or electricity in these parts. The songs were not written down. Acapella, shape note singing, and ballads mostly. They came from their ancestors, from England and Europe. Folk songs and hymns. No one knew exactly how, when, where, or who wrote them. But after hundreds of years, only the best of the songs survived. Words changed to fit the times, song titles changed, but the tunes remained intact. This is important because when Ralph Pierce started recording these people, the tunes were all exceptional, distilled and edited by time, something sorely lacking today. The best of the best. Each family had their own version of the song. They claimed it as their own. So when the Carter family came to town, Ralph Pierre was told these were their songs, and he copyrighted it and recorded them. Thus, he captured not only the songs, but actual performances, fixing them for the first time in time and space. And in so doing, he turned an organic, traditional way of life into a fixed industry. It was the beginning of the end of the oral tradition in American music. Music became commerce. The modern recording industry was born. Often these families took the tunes from church, changed the lyrics, added a little instrumentation bit in the middle, which today we call a bridge, making, a sacred, making the sacred secular for home entertainment on the front porch. No one did this better than the Carters. The matriarch, May Bell Carter, played the guitar. She was good. She was very good. So they liked her to play out a little bit more when they all made music together as a family. The music needed to be more rhythmic so you could dance to it church music to dance to, mostly clog dancing or square dancing. You know all those solos and mind-blowing guitar parts and piano bits you hear in the middle of pop and rock songs? Well, that's Maybell Carter. So here you have traditional folk or hymn tunes restructured with the rhythmic instrumental component added, which would go on to form the musical basis of what we call country music and later rock and roll. Let's listen to Maybell and the Carter family from a 1920s recording the dulcimer has been replaced by a guitar, but the rhythmic quality remains and is even enhanced and extended. The tune is a hymn, the words their own. Here is a small example of the musical shift from traditional to contemporary. This is how it happened. Her 
Fortuitously, Jimmy Rogers showed up in Bristol. Jimmy was a railroad man. He spent much of his life traveling the rails with his guitar in the Deep South as a brakeman. Unlike the isolated mountain people of the Appalachians, along the rails Jimmy was exposed to the grittier, unintegrated African-American community and their folk music, which today we think of predominantly as the blues. Jimmy Rogers today considered the grandfather of country music, the progenitor of what we think of as country sound, introduced African-American elements into the more folk traditions and those elements that we now call country. Astonishingly, he was reviled in his hometown and to this day remains quite a controversial figure among many whites because he embraced what we thought was disgusting music from the children of black slaves in those days. Sadly, in the Deep South, Jimmy Rogers remains a controversial figure. But Jimmy would go on later to collaborate with artists like Louis Armstrong, among many others. What Jimmy did was incorporate the elements he heard along the rails into original compositions. The yodel, that he was very, very well known for, is a distinctive European influence, proof of the hybrid. Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family got recorded. That made all the difference. Both would become known outside their own communities. They would bu- we could buy their records in New York and California. Their influence spread like wildfire. Working-class music from illiterate musicians, it's sold in the millions. This alone was a radical shift. Much of the bedrock of American popular music can be traced to these two artists. Here is Jimmy Rogers. This, his most beloved song. It's been recorded hundreds of times by artists, even today. Nobody 
Memphis, Tennessee was the perfect place for black southern blues from the Delta to crash into mountain folk music from the Appalachians. Memphis was a crossroads right between the two. It was a transportation hub for moving goods and services north. In many ways, while not a seaport, it was America's Liverpool. A young boy moved from Tupelo, Mississippi to Memphis, bringing with him his church music. He loved gospel, which he heard in the neighboring black churches back home. He was drawn to the blues, which he heard on the streets. And he loved the old-time country music he heard on WSM radio. It was the voice of the grand old Opry. He was a student of the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers. Elvis Presley was a cut-up and liked to goof around with the songs and music styles he knew. Here he takes a country hit song, a ballad written by Bill Monroe from Kentucky, the biggest country star of his day, and simply speeds it up. Recorded as an outtake at a converted gas station turned recording studio called Sun. Listen to what happens to the song in Elvis's hands. Singing here as a complete unknown before Elvis was Elvis, some suggest this was the seed of rock and roll. Blue moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. Shine on the one that's gone and left me blue. Keep on shining Shine on the one that's gold and proved untrue It was on one more night night The stars were shining bright Whispered from on high Love said goodbye Little moon of Kentucky Keep on shining Shine on Even country songs were beginning to take on a more rhythmic, rocking sensibility. Here is Johnny Cash, a young Turk also hanging around Sun Studios, with Elvis, Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, Jerry Lee Lewis, and others. They would become known as the Million Dollar Quartet. Recorded by cowboy Jack Clement, who just died last week, a friend of mine and a remarkably powerful influence and force in the birth of rock and roll. At this time, they were just young kids looking for something to do. They all had other jobs. You need to understand, at this time, there was no such thing as rock and roll. Imagine. These songs we're, we're hearing now represent the ingredients going into a pot and inadvertently getting cooked up together at a tiny, one-room converted gas station in Memphis, Tennessee. The music to come was an accident. Keep me on your side 
You give me cause for love that I can't hide For you I know I'd even try to turn the tide Because you're mine, I walk the line Johnny Cash, I Walk the Line. You know, by this time around 1954, a form of the blues had become very popular in the African-American community. It was exactly the same blues songs, just more up-tempo. It would later be called Rhythm and Blues, a name created by a young producer, Jerry Wexler, one day in the studio when asked what kind of recording he was making. He just made it up. Jerry had a passion for black music. In 20 years, Jerry would rise to become one of the most influential and successful producers in American history. We might well not have had Aretha Franklin or a Led Zeppelin, but for Jerry Wexler. The truth is, the sound we call rock and roll today was being played and recorded by black artists in the 1940s. But in those segregated days, white people had very little access to black music, except in places like Memphis. Here is an unknown Elvis who takes a Billy Cudrup blues tune and speeds it up. A white guy playing this kind of music? Well, that was outrageous, revolutionary, new. Even then, still acoustic, giving it a strong country element, country blues really, the tempo beat gives it a more rocking feeling. Many musicologists point to this recording as the first rock and roll song. style. Along with an even faster rhythmic pace, it gave the song a little sort of edge. Many have suggested that this is the true first rock and roll song. Today it sounds so quaint and tame. In 1954 it was subversive and deviant. A white guy making what sounded like black music. Ironically, that is probably the best definition of rock and roll. Well, 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 that's because you think you're so pretty And just because your mama thinks you're hot Well, just because you think you've got something That no other girl has got You cause me to spend all of my money 
Jackie Brenson, who was a uh, sax player in the South, had his own band, and they were cruising down from St. Louis in their Rocket 88 model car toward Memphis around this time. They were doing a gig. They were a hot rhythm and blues band with a young lead singer, Ike Turner. They stopped in at the local radio station for a visit with their pal, B.B. King, who was working as a DJ. B.B. told them about Sun Studios and suggested they stop in and make a record. In those days, it was really that simple. They told B.B. they didn't have a song. He told them to write one now, before they got to the studio. Well, what to write? So they came up with a little ditty about their car, the Rocket 88, with Ike Turner on lead vocals, a radically different arrangement with a rolling New Orleans-style piano and sax replacing the guitar. The song is recorded in one take at Sun, having been written in the car the song is named for. Many rock critics want us to believe it is the first rock and roll song. It is really no different than Elvis's recordings, except for the instrumentation. Note how the song has no prominent electric guitar. Rocket 88. It's blues. It's R&B. Is it rock and roll? Really? You've heard of jalopies, you've heard the noise they make But let me introduce my new Rocket 88 Yes, it's great, just one way Everybody likes my Rocket 88 Baby, we'll ride in style, moving all along Smart and designed, black convertible top, and the gals don't mind. Sporting with me, riding all around town for joy. Blow your horn, Raymond, blow!
before a cowboy Jack Clement who tragically died last week. He was the engineer, mentor, and uh, a songwriter in many respects for all those early cats out there at Sun Studios who were sort of morphing around with different kinds of music. And Cowboy Jack was a remarkable man. I spent a lot of time with him and we worked together and he was just uh, he was a legend in Nashville and uh, he uh, really was the man who introduced uh, outlaw country who, uh, you know, created that sort of genre, essentially, with the number of the artists that he produced and, and sort of co- coalesced around that idea. He also broke the, uh, the race barrier in Nashville with uh, Charlie Pride and was his producer and mentor later on. And the man was amazing. He was a renaissance man. He could write, he could uh, produce, he could publish. He, he was a great engineer. And a lot of those early songs that we've been listening to uh, at Sun Studios were all engineered by Jack. And he was very much their, their big brother and their mentor in those days. A lot of these guys, these legends that we think of. And if you get a chance, check out the internet. Check out Cowboy Jack Clement. He was in the papers, all the papers, all of the East Coast, the New York Times, the Boston Globe, the Bangor paper. Um, a real loss to uh, a real central character in the uh, history of American recorded music, both in country and rock and roll. So Cowboy Jack told a young country piano player around this time in the 1954-ish era that, um, you know, he ought to emulate what we just heard, Brenson's more up-tempo style for his new song to give it a little bit more juice. Jerry Lee Lewis was born. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain Too much of love drives a man insane You broke my will, but what a thrill Also hanging around the studio then uh, was a young country singer named Carl Perkins. He was soaking up everything he heard. You see, Sun was integrated. The Memphis recording scene was integrated. It was a musical melting pot unlike anywhere else in the country. Unlike Nashville's RCA studio, Sun recorded both black and white artists. They hung out together, traded licks and songs outside on the street. The result was this song, a bluesy, country, rocking song. Today, a style referred to as rockabilly. The billy in rockabilly refers to hillbilly, a pejorative term used to describe southern backwoods mountain people. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, 
country boy, Roy Orbison, got into the act. Now, you know Roy from his iconic song, Pretty Woman. Did he know he played a role in the birth of rock and roll? Here he is, recording at Sun, like the rest of them. I wonder, when I hear that acoustic rhythm guitar, it reminds me of good old Maybelle Carter. Hey, baby, jump over here when you do a little bit of it. I just gotta be near This next song uh, is a great example of how the blues gets transformed into, well, perhaps rock and roll. Here Elvis takes a Robert Johnson 
song Milk Cow Blues, an acoustic Mississippi Delta Blues song, and turns it into something else by changing the rhythm slightly and speeding it up. And this recording, you actually get to hear him and hear the process. Oh, well, I woke up this morning And I looked out the door I can tell that old milk cow For the way she looks Holy fellas, that don't move me Let's get real, real gone for a change Well, I woke up this morning And I looked out the door I can tell that old milk cow I can tell the way she looks Now if you see my milk cow Please is rapping off my home home the acoustic blues moved from the Delta up to Chicago with muddy waters. African Americans were moving north to find work in the urban factories and they brought their music with them. Muddy, Muddy Waters put down his acoustic guitar and plugged in an electric one. Still classic blues, but the electric guitar makes it sound like, well, rock and roll perhaps. What became known as the Chicago blues was much grittier than even Memphis. It was pure blues with no country influence. It was strictly African-American music in a country that was not integrated. They were way ahead of the curve. In many respects, mainstream culture just took what they did and renamed it. Outside the mainstream, this was minority music, the ultimate alternative sound. It's easy to tell where groups like the Rolling Stones and others got so much of their inspiration. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah Everything gonna be alright this morning Now when I was a young boy At the age of five Mother Sam B, the greatest man alive. But now I'm a man, I made 21. I want you to believe me, honey. We're having lots of fun. I'm a man. Yeah! I spell him H I. And that rubber than me yeah! No be Oh child Why That spell managed 
you see, one of the defining elements of rock and roll is that it was white music. White artists essentially playing an African-American blues and white country mix, today called rockabilly. Its distinctive element? You had to be able to dance to it. Unlike the blues or folk, it wasn't music to make you listen or think. It was made to make you move. And it wasn't until Chuck Berry came along that this inverse race barrier was shattered and a new level of integration began, driven by the music of young people. Recognizing the exploding teen market, urban, Jewish, white professional songwriters on the East Coast got into the act. Great songwriters such as Lieber and Stoller. You know, smartly, here they give their faux blues song to a black woman, Big Mama Thornton, who delivers a definitive performance. The Elvis hit 
Well, it was just a watered-down white man's version of this. The difference? One is considered R&B, the other rock and roll. You! loves the ending to that song for sure you know when elvis sings a lieber and stoller pen song we all think of it as rock and roll it's really no more than an electrified r&b rockabilly tune but then again the very definition of rock and roll
So what was the first rock and roll song? The truth is, there is none. It depends upon your lens. Memphis and Sun Studios is probably where black first became white. Country became rockabilly and the blues found their first home with white artists. The first rock and roll song, though, to have a global impact, a real cultural impact across the board. The first one to turn this little musical quirk into a massive, unstoppable phenomenon was a song recorded at the end of a recording session for Decca Records. It was done, I think, at RCA Studios in New York City. The session was nearly over. They hadn't gotten a good take. As an afterthought, the band decided they'd give it one more shot. Sammy Davis Jr. was in the wings, ready to take his turn at the microphone. They incurred the wrath of the engineers, producers, and management who wanted to go home, and they launched into this song. It was a throwaway, an afterthought, written in 1952, before all the sun stuff, but it wasn't recorded until this date, in 1954. Later added to a teen film soundtrack called Blackboard Jungle, the song is as distinctively country as it is rhythm and blues. The band? Well, a jazzy swing dance band called The Comets, led by a Philadelphia boy with a passion for Western swing, Bill Haley. And if you like Western swing, you ought to check out uh, Jay Peterson's show at this time tomorrow. Um, he does a lot of great swing music, and you can really get a sense of how this song uh, and where its influences came from. But here is where it all came together. Black, white, country blues, jazz, pop. This is a 12-bar blues, essentially. Commerce, technology, creative genius, and the social change the film unleashed to a new generation. Remember Maybell Carter's rhythm guitar and those old traditional hymns in the 1920s? Well, let's count it out. Have a great weekend, everyone. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. But it's that right, so join me home. We'll have some fun when the clock strikes one. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. We're gonna rock, 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 till broad daylight. We're gonna rock, gonna rock around the clock tonight. When the clock strikes two, three, and four. This Way Out is made possible by Southwest Cycle, celebrating over 30 years of providing bicycle sales, service, and rentals to the Downeast community. Located at 370 Main Street in Southwest Harbor, 244-5856 or online at southwestcycle.com. This is WERU General Manager Matt Murphy. On behalf of our volunteers, staff, and board of directors, thank you to everyone who contributed to our Funathon pledge drive, whether you gave money, volunteer time, or both. Together, we all make great community radio. Thank you so much. Support for WERU comes from Downeast AIDS Network, located in Ellsworth and Machias, providing anonymous HIV testing, prevention education, and case management to individuals in Hancock and Washington counties. More information is available at 667-3506. 